introduce our guest speaker. Uh, we at CPC over the last 14 years have been a partner with a kingdom work in Africa, and that is Trinity Center for World Missions. Pete Anderson, who is going to speak today, is the executive director, and what a, uh, a blessing he was to us in the Sunday School Hour and describing some of those things, and I'm sure that if you'd like to talk to Pete afterwards, he'll be available out in the, in the hallway. But Pete, would you come and share the gospel with us? Thank you, Roger. Roger's my good friend. He was an elder in my church as well. We really didn't want to send him to you, but he left anyway. It was my joy to uh, speak at his retirement ceremony from the Navy. I'm so glad to be here, largely to thank you this morning for 14 and a half years. You've never seen my face. Maybe you thought it was some scam out there, but I'm real, you know, and I'm a missionary. I love being a missionary. I like to say we have a missionary God who sent his missionary son, and now the son sends us out as missionaries. And I look around at the children here, I'm glad to see them. I think when I was about 10 years old, there was a lady who came to my church, and her name was Nettie Junkin, and uh, she was a missionary in Africa. As a little kid, I was very curious. I sat there and listened, and that changed my life. And I hope that someone today will feel the Holy Spirit working in your heart, and that you'll consider going around the world somewhere or even next door and sharing the gospel. I'd like to read to you at this time. This is a very familiar passage when it comes to missions. It's the story of Jonah. Uh, you know the story where God comes to him and tells him, hey, I've got a, a job for you. You need to go to Nineveh. You need to preach the gospel. And if the people don't repent, I'm going to destroy uh, Nineveh. Nineveh is the the most powerful military power of the time, the capital of Assyria. And uh, Jonah doesn't want to go. And so uh, God provides a fish, and the fish swallows Jonah. And eventually Jonah begins to pray and get serious with God. And uh, he spit out on the dry land. And that brings us to chapter 3 of Jonah. And uh, it says... Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown." And the people of Nineveh, they believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and the nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from their evil way and from the violence. 
that is in their hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. In my view, there's a crisis in American Christianity. And at the heart of that crisis is a failure to understand the Lordship of Christ, the holiness of God, and all of its implications. I think that there was a time where people saw the primary purpose of the church as to go and make disciples. And these disciples were to be baptized and they were going to be taught to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And so churches were largely schools of discipleship. They were educational places as well as places of worship. But now in many places in America, and I travel a good bit, the tide has turned. And many Christians now see Christianity as a path to wealth and health and riches, a place to find solutions to their own problems, and a place to connect. Ours is often a Christianity that doesn't involve a tremendous amount of sacrifice or a life of commitment. Um, for 40 years or more now, I've, I've been a pastor, and the biggest problem that I ever faced in any of the churches that I pastored was this, partial surrender. Partial surrender. People who know God, they know about God, they have the information about God, but there's, there's a portion of themselves that they, they tend to hold back. It's like they have this little restricted area just for them. As a result, big blocks of our lives have never been invaded by the gospel. But Jesus' lordship means this. It means that he is sovereign over everything, everything we do and every thought. It means that he is the king and we are his servants. In the Bible, God commands his people to live in a certain way. He expects us to do it. Uh, he commands uh, things that cross our wills, and he has the right to do that because he's God. Our place is not to debate with God whether we should do something that he tells us to do, but we ought to immediately do it. But many times we do not want to surrender. We have other plans. And that brings us to Jonah this morning. Jonah is a missionary who is a disobedient missionary. There is a portion of his life that he has never given to God. He's a missionary and a prophet, but he doesn't want to obey God. In fact, he thinks he knows better than God. So God commands Jonah to be a witness and to go to Nineveh and to preach the gospel. And Jonah thinks that he better go somewhere else. And so he goes to Tarshish. First thing that I want you to see today is that Jonah did not face the urgency of the gospel and the sacrifice that's necessary to reach the nations with the gospel. Jonah really didn't understand the plan of God. He did not see the urgency of the gospel message. He had little compassion on these people. He didn't have compassion on the adults or the children or even the animals, we found out. He's not concerned about anybody but himself, we'll see, and the people that he grew up with, and the people who were like him. Jonah is very limited. He does not want to leave home. He likes where he lives. It reminds me, uh, once 
I had a good friend, still do have the same friend, a nurse, and I asked her if she would be willing to go on a, a medical mission trip. And she looked at me very seriously, and she said, well, I would like to go, and I, I am a nurse. I think I could be a big help, but my dog would really miss me, and so I won't be able to go. And I, I sat there, and I listened to it, and I just wanted to shake her almost, saying, what? what? What about the Bible? What about all the things that you've learned in the Scriptures all of your life? But many people are like that nurse today, and many people are like Jonah. We want our comfortable lifestyles. We do not see what God is doing. We have sort of a people blindness. But I want you to open your eyes just a little bit today and begin to think about what is world missions and what is going on in the world today and how you might be plugged in by the Lord to world missions, to world evangelization, to the salvation of God's people. God has sent us to disciple the nations. Missions is all about the glory of Christ and his command to go to the nations of the world. America and the rest of the world is in trouble right now. Let me give you uh, some samples of things that are going on in the world. You may not be aware of them. Did you know that much of Europe has turned away from the gospel? For in Scotland, example, in, in Scotland, only 2% of people go to church now. That's really sad. If you travel throughout Europe, you see mosques being built everywhere. Uh, Islam is taking over much of Europe and even many of the major cities. In India, the second largest country in the world, churches are being forced to close and missionaries are being expelled from the country. Christianity and Christians in Egypt are having great difficulty. They are being beaten and sometimes killed for their faith. One of the Reformed churches in China recently, the pastor and 200 members were arrested and all of their property and their school and their seminary were taken away. In South Sudan, many churches have been burned. The lips have been cut of the uh, Christians. The ears have been cut off so that they cannot hear and they cannot speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, about 215 million Christians face significant levels of persecution in the world. One in 12 Christians lives where the faith is illegal or forbidden or punished. For example, in uh, North Korea, they're at the top of the list of persecutors. It's illegal to be a Christian, and Christians are often sent to labor camps or even killed. Islam persecutes and oppresses Christians in more than 33 countries that I'm aware of. The 10 worst nations where Christians are persecuted are these. North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, Pakistan, Eritrea, Libya, Iraq, Yemen, and Iran. So this is what is happening. We don't want to think about it. We easily pass it by, but right at the heart of what God is doing on this earth is that he is gathering his people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And while we have it made, you know, in many ways, other people are suffering. Our brothers and sisters are being beaten and raped and murdered and deprived of their homes. They've been being subjected to slavery and martyrdom. But it's hard to think about it. This week, our president said that there's an emergency at the border. Well, 
I'm here to tell you today there's a greater emergency. There's an emergency to get the gospel out. There should be something inside of us that's like an intolerable burden where this weighs on us and we're concerned about this because we're people with passions. We're people that, that live under the great commission of Jesus Christ. And we should think, what can we do? After 2,000 years since the giving of the Great Commission, there are still about 6,800 people groups on planet Earth that have not been reached by the gospel. Now think about it. With all of our technology and all of our resources, why is it that almost a half of the people groups in the world today don't have a viable church? It's because in many ways we have not taken seriously the lordship of Jesus Christ and the glory of Christ, and Christ's desire to be worshipped by the nations. God put you on this earth, and God has a global purpose for you. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. Have you considered that? That you're here by God's appointment, and that everything that has happened in your life up to this point, nothing is arbitrary? God brought you here today for a godly purpose, and it has something to do with missions. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Your plan A, there's no plan B. So first, I, I wanted you to see that Jonah did not understand the priority of missions, or the sacrifice required, or the eternal consequences, or the lordship of Christ, or the holiness of God. Secondly, Jonah was not able to overcome the challenges of ethnocentrism and materialism and comfort. Now, what does that mean? That's just a big word I like to throw out. What is this all about? It means that Jonah was unable to identify with the real needs of people who were not Jews. He grew up in a Jewish environment. He was a prophet. He associated with Jews. He thought everybody ought to act like Jews, have the traditions of Jews. And as far as other people... He forgot about them. And we do the same thing. When you got up this morning, you looked so nice. You obviously looked in the mirror, right? And who did you see? You saw yourself. And you begin to see, yeah, I need to fix myself up a little bit. I'm going, going to church today. And you uh, begin to think about what you're going to do this week and where you're going to go. And you begin to re relate to your family. But did anybody wake up and think about the big plan, the big purpose, and you were careful to keep the main thing the main thing, and did you think about world missions? What is this all about? In a sense, it's about racism. It's about we like people who are like us and have the traditions that we have. And we don't like other people. In fact, sometimes we terribly dislike the very people that we're commanded to love. It's easy to love people like you, you have such much, so much joy, and to be here. But what if you lived in a Muslim community? What if you lived in a Hindu community? What if you lived in a Buddhist community? Everything isn't just like Clarksville. You're not just a church in Clarksville. You're a global Christian. We're going to see in a moment that you're a world Christian. You're called to be a world Christian. When Jonah begins to identify himself, this is the first thing he says, the first chapter. 
He says to the sailors, I'm a Hebrew. That's who I am. That's where I get my identity. But you see, that's all wrong. Who are you? You are Christians. You're people called by God's name. Your citizenship is in heaven. Your first priority is the kingdom of God. The world is passing away. And so we have to be careful not to tie our hopes to everything here. It's just a short time. It's just a dot in eternity. And so when we think of our lives, we have to begin to think about not just where we are right now, like we're one of those tribes in Africa, and, and we just all circle there, and we live out in the bush somewhere, and, and we just think about us. According to Jonah, Jonah's God loved one race of people and favored them and ignored the rest. Jonah thought he understood God. Jonah is like people that I meet in Africa. They've grown up in Africa. They only know uh, the country and the language. My brother, Sidney, was a missionary in Nigeria, and he worked with the Teve tribe. And one day, some of his students came to him, and he asked them this question. How many people in the United States speak Teve? And uh, Sid said, I think this is true, he was the only one. They could not believe it. They thought they were the biggest tribe in the world. They thought that they were all powerful. They were the great Teve people. But they didn't have any colleges. They didn't have any great sophistication. There was no seminary. But they were ethnocentric. They thought that they were the center of everything. And in our, our lives, where is your center? Is your center Jesus Christ? And do you really believe that without Jesus you can do nothing? My mother had this phrase she always would say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that it's by your might and your power that you're going to live on this earth and somehow glorify God? Today, Christians think like this. I'm okay. I need to do good. I believe in Jesus. Jesus wants me to be nice. That's the description of Christians today. Christians are nice, aren't they? But that's not a description of the Christian life. A Christian is a fisher of men. He walks in the steps of Jesus. He has had an encounter with Jesus. A Christian is the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We live in the shadow of the cross. A Christian is so grateful for the grace and the love and the kindness and the mercy of Christ that it naturally flows out of him all of this grace and flows out to others, not just neighbors, but neighbors that are far away. We suffer from what my brothers always called it, delusions of adequacy. That's what, when you have a family and they're six boys, they would say to you as a really put down, you suffer from delusions of adequacy. And that, that's true for Christians today. Our God is very small. We don't really think he's up to it. We don't think his fastball is that fast anymore. But God is powerful, and he is sovereign, and he is using people. And every person that becomes a Christian leaves the kingdom of darkness and comes into the kingdom of light. And there are millions of victories that are taking place on this planet every year. Think about your life. You know, you were born into a particular family, 
You were given spiritual gifts when you received the Holy Spirit. Uh, There are certain things that you have a heart and a passion to do. Uh, You have a unique personality. You've had all of these experiences in life. All of those are important things because God has been working for you. And your responsibility, along with the leaders of your church, is to discover how all of that is working together for good, for the glory of Christ, and for your good as well. You were made by God for God. You have a missionary God, and that missionary God has sent all of you on a mission. You have a purpose. Now let's think about Jonah. You remember the story. Jonah's God was really not concerned about all these people. Jonah didn't want to go. He lived uh, 800 years before the coming of Christ. He was the prophet, and he was happy being a prophet where he was. And to go to Nineveh, it would be like saying, okay, uh, God has a mission for you. You're supposed to go to North Korea. Would you want to go? You might want to take a, a nice boat to Hawaii or the Bahamas or somewhere. And so Nineveh was the sin capital of the world. It was a place that was noted for the inhumane treatment of foreigners. It was the greatest threat to the nation of Israel. And sure enough, years later, they came and destroyed the northern kingdom. And so Noah, not Noah, Noah's my grandson. I often bring him in here accidentally. But uh, anyway, Jonah, uh, when he gets the message, he thinks it's like mission impossible. God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. And he doesn't want to have anything to do with that. He knows those Ninevites. They're pagans. They're barbarians. They're ignorant. They've killed my uncle or my aunt or whatever. So what is it about Jonah? Why doesn't he want to go there? All of those reasons, maybe he's uh, afraid, maybe he doesn't like the food there, or maybe he's afraid of seasickness or bandits or terrorists or whatever other excuse that, that we could come up with. But he refuses to obey God. That's where he's weak. He doesn't understand. John Stead, he knows who I'm talking about. There was a fellow in our church that died in a helicopter crash. And uh, he had a son named TJ. And TJ, uh, when his dad had died, sort of became the big man. He thought he was really something. And so his mother came in and brought him to me. And uh, she told me all kinds of things and how he was sassing her and different other stuff. Um, Nothing remarkable, but nevertheless, she wanted me to cure him. And so I brought him in, and I said, TJ, you see this big circle right here? That's God. Now, you see this little circle right here? That's your mom. And do you see this little tiny dot way down here? TJ, that's you. That's you. And when you disobey your mom... You're disobeying God. And Jonah had the same problem. We are expected to obey God, even when it's hard. Now, to to get a picture, to see the intensity of it, let, let me read a prophecy about Nineveh by another prophet named Nahum. Look what he says about Nineveh, and, and ask yourself, would you go? 
Where'd you go? Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a harlot, alluring the mystery, mistress of sorceries and enslaved nations by her prostitution and people of her witchcraft. Okay, how many want to sign up? Not Jonah. Jonah had lost the battle in his mind. He knows the truth about God. He knows that God is great. He confesses in his prayer that God's the creator of heaven and earth, the land and the sea. In his mind, he knows the Bible stories. He's the prophet. But he just received this information. He knew the facts. He probably thinks someone else ought to go. But he doesn't see his obligation. He would never consider himself a racist. But he did not love sinners. He did not love people different from himself. He thinks he can actually stop God's plan by running away to somewhere else. And he opts out of the only plan, which is God's plan. Our God is a loving and merciful God. He finds no joy satisfaction in the death of the wicked people. You know, the Bible is all about the good news of the gospel, which is powerful, which transforms lives. And yet, Noah, he knows that on one level, and he confesses that, but then he just looks at the difficulty, and he looks at things without any spiritual eyes, and we discover there's an area that he's never surrendered to God. He just likes his home. He likes the biscuits, the gravy. You know, the pulled pork down in Georgia is so good. You know, to leave that, or whatever it might be. Jesus, or Jonah, prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? He preaches and there, there are people getting saved all over the place. There's a great revival. And what is his response? I told you this was going to happen. And now I'm going to have to stay here. And I'm going to have to work with these people. And I'm never going to get home again. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? For a prophet. He's missed the whole point. It's because he's playing God. He's playing God with his life. And that's what we do. We create our own idol God who is very, very permissive and lets us do the things that we want to do. And so there is Jonah. He's missed his opportunity. He looked at these people, pagans, ignorant, murderers, barbarians, unclean, so different. What is the great commandment? You have to mix it always with the great commission. Love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and your neighbor as yourself. I work with some interesting people. Sometimes it's very hard for me to love them. I work with one group of people that are just very, very short. I work with another group of people that like to eat dead bodies of their neighbors. 
And there's always a group of people that are pouring concrete on graves so that the neighbors won't dig up their relatives and eat them. I work with one group every morning. The ladies listen to this. They get up. They pick up all the cow feces that they can find and they smear it on the floor of their grass shack to keep the dust down. And it, it works, so, but it really stinks. It's hard to go in there. It's, it's hard to love them. My brother Sid in Africa, uh, when he was invited into the Teve home, uh, the way they invite you to a meal is, would you like to come to my home and flick lumps? What does that mean? That means their main meal is sweet potatoes, and in the sweet potatoes, they're bugs. And so you heat all of it in a big fire covered with leaves, and then you, you dig out and you get your sweet potato, and they've got these roasted bugs inside that don't taste good. And so you dig down there with your thumb, and you put it on your thumb, and you flip it, and it splatters on the wall behind you. Do y'all ever do that here in Clarksville? Now, it takes a certain amount of adjustment to learn to do that. When you open the pot and there's a monkey and he's staring at you and his arms are crossed like that, you, you just don't want to naturally eat him. Recently, at one of our classes, we have a theological school. A lady came. She had never, uh, she'd never been in a regular kind of building. This was a cinder block building. And it, it had a sink, which is, would be rare to find in that, that part. And she looked at it, and she had no idea what it was. And so she had her little baby with her, and she went over, and she sat down on the sink, and it cracked and fell down to a thousand pieces, and water went everywhere. Why was that? She thought it was a chair molded into the wall. These things happen. That's what missions is all about. You know, anybody can love their neighbor, but God calls us to love everyone and show grace to everyone because grace is what changes everything, particularly in missions. If you want to warm the hearts of people, you treat their relatives, you bring doctors there, you bring nurses there, you help them in their time of need. When they don't have water, you help them get water. One of our ministries is to repair water wells. There are thousands of them all over Africa where some group came along, put in a $16,000 well, and they need a 50-cent part to fix it, and nobody has one. Well, we have those. And just little things like that. My job is not just to share the gospel. My job is to love people. And you're a missionary too, and that's your job. Now, it's been an adjustment for me to come back to the South. I lived 37 years in Hawaii. I lived a couple years in Mexico, and I've worked off and on in Africa now for 20 years. And so when I, when I got to Dahlonega, that's where I live now in Georgia, I found out that people in Tennessee hate Alabama because of some football game or something. <laughs> and I found out that there are a lot of people in the South that still hate the people in the North. And a lot of people here in America right now hate all the Mexicans, and they're, they're Christians that don't get along with other denominations. And they're, they're Christians who hate people who drive foreign cars down here in the South. How is that? Jonah grew up just like us, hating people. He hated the Assyrians. They were the historic enemies. They were idol worshipers. You're supposed to have nothing to do with them in his view. 
But guess what? God has always loved the nations of the world. There are more than 900 references in the Bible to the nations of the world and God's love for them. It's an incredible thing. It's a major theme in the Bible. When God calls Abraham, what does He say to Abraham? He says, I blessed you to be a blessing. Through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. You are the light of the world. But somehow, we have missed that part of it. We think perhaps that it's okay just to minister here, and certainly uh, evangelism and mission starts at home and in our community and in our church. But we have a responsibility to people who have never heard the gospel. 6,800 groups. We have a special plan to reach them. Since we have so many different tribes, 19 already in our school, we're trying to get to know who they're kin to and how those people can go and plant churches in these areas where no one has ever gone. It's an exciting time. So here's Jonah. He's proud. And pride is always the thing that that gets us in trouble. C.S. Lewis says, Pride is the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. And that's, that's Jonah. He's proud. I'm a Hebrew. That's how he describes himself. So let me ask you, are you a global Christian? Are you a world Christian? Do you ever even think about it? A world Christian, let me define it for you. World Christians are faithful disciples of Jesus Christ who have the Great Commission as the overriding priority in their lives. Their life's direction has been transformed and molded by Christ's world vision. 50,000 people die every day on this planet who have never heard the gospel. 6,800 groups have never been reached with the gospel. But Jesus said, Therefore go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always. Why did I go to Africa? I actually believe this. I talked about it some in Sunday school. I believe that my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren are going to be evangelized by Africans. That's where the, the Christianity is really growing right now. 40% of all Christians in the world by 2040 will live in sub-Sahara Africa. That's where we're working. And yet the problem is, who's teaching these people? After they have professed faith in Christ. Now, this is one of my greatest sins. I didn't plan on saying it, but I'll just tell you what happened to me one day. We preached all day long, pretty much, and people came, and I could tell, I mean, they were broken people. They were like these people, you know, who were ready to put on sackcloth and ashes. They knew. They had no other hope. They heard about Jesus, okay? And they started becoming Christians, and so I worked with them and worked with them, and finally it came about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and you know what I said? I said, I can't do it anymore. You have to come back and get saved at 10 o'clock in the morning. That's what you run into. You don't run into it every day. But God is doing a powerful work. So imagine your congregation here, and you're all brand new baby Christians, okay? 
and you have no pastor and no elders and no deacons. That's the struggle with Africa right now. That's the greatest need in Africa. That we'll teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. Now, at the end of Jonah, God comes to Jonah and says, shouldn't I be concerned about all these people? And shouldn't I be concerned about, you know, the ones that can't walk? And shouldn't I even be concerned about the animals? What about you? And what about me? Shouldn't we be concerned? That's, that's the message of the book. That's how it closes. What I, I suggest that you do in your life today, because our, our minds are so tricky, is that you draw a line starting today. And start all over in terms of your attitude towards what God wants you to do and, and open up your life to do something that relates to world missions. If you pick up uh, one of the brochures, there's, there are volunteer opportunities in Georgia, there are volunteer opportunities in Africa. Everywhere I go, there are great needs. You have more education than you know, some countries of, in Africa where people have been taught nothing and so, shouldn't you be concerned? When you think about these people, these are real people. These are, these are people who are hurting, who probably live in a, a one-room, grass shack, very little water, sleep on the floor, ringworm all over themselves. Are you concerned? Or are we just going to be like, Jonah? I, I like my people, I like my comforts. Remember the end of the story, sort of. Jonah's mad that all these people became believers. And so he goes out and he's in the east of the city and makes a booth, or there's a booth there, and, and this plant grows up, and it's over his head, and there's a breeze blowing, and he's cool. The only time Jonah's happy is when he's underneath that plant, that plant that God raised up. But God has another message for Jonah, and he raises up a worm. God uses worms like us too. Uh, he, he raises up a worm, and the worm cuts the plant, and the plant dies. And Jonah, the big wind begins to blow, and the sun is beating down on, on him. And he says, I'm so mad, I'm so angry, I wish I could die. What made him happy? The only time he's happy, air conditioning. That was this big thing. I have air conditioning, I'm happy, everything's good. Here, thousands of people probably have just come to know God, and he's concerned about air conditioning. And what are you concerned about? What am I concerned about? Think about the grace of God to you, the mercy that he has shown to you, that he would let you live in such a beautiful place as this. And when you begin to think of the cross and Christ willing to come and share our humanity, never live in a house, what should be our response for our suffering Savior and King? Lord, what would you have me to do? I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. 
Instead, rather than saying, take my life and let me be, we sing, take my wife and let me be. That's not the answer, is it? We have to be so careful that we don't allow pride to blind us. That we're not blinded to the needs of others right around us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for the power of the Gospel. The goodness and sweetness and kindness and mercy of Jesus. And out of all of that, Lord, help us to think about others those that are neglected in our society, those that are not even given in our country now a, a right to be born. Lord, we, we think of millions of new Christians that have no pastor. I pray that you would use Trinity Center for World Mission to train hundreds and hundreds of pastors throughout Central Africa. I thank you for this church that has given generously, even though most of them have never met me or anyone in the organization. Thank you for the great things that you've done in spite of our weakness and our sin. Lord, we want to see the nations be glorified or to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see them around the throne singing praises to the mighty King. Lord, work in our hearts. I pray for boys and girls who might be like David Brainerd or John Patton, David Livingston, those that have gone out and put all their belongings in a casket, went far away for the sake of the gospel, knowing that they would never return. Lord, give us faith in you when you ask us to do things that we don't want to do. Give us the willingness to do it. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, for the cross, for a sweet salvation. Thank you for the message of Jesus to come unto me, all you that are tired and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, empower us to follow in his footsteps. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.